What's up, horror fans? Anchor Pete here, and boy, happy Thanksgiving to you because you are about to listen to a love fest for the excellent film, Dr. Sleep. It is a favorite of mine. It is a favorite of this man right over here, uh, Do Danny, Dr. Zayas, G-O-D on Twitter, and that man down there, Chris, Future Boy Chris on Twitter. We are the Lasser cast, and we are here to suck the steam right out of Dr. Sleep and spit it into your mouths. So um, if you guys have not watched Dr. Sleep already, I strongly recommend that you go on HBO or HBO Max and watch it or go get the DVD. I know for me, it was like tied for my favorite movie of 2019 along with Parasite. And um, I, it's, it's definitely my favorite Mike Flanagan film. For, for you guys, it's number one or it's number two, right? Number one for Danny? It's pretty, it's, it's, I mean, I gotta say after rewatching it, after rewatching the director's cut, after rewatching Gerald's game, uh, they're, they're neck and neck. It's very hard for me to choose right now. I love them both for very different reasons, but those reasons, like I said, they're just, they're neck and neck. It is based on a 2013 novel uh, by Stephen King, and it would have come out right before he had done Revival, which we reviewed uh, last week. And um, the, the movie Dr. Sleep is directed by Mike Flanagan, it was originally going to be made into a movie that was going to be written by Akiva Goldsman. Do you guys know Akiva Goldsman? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, we had equally, like, apathetic reactions to his... It was like, yeah, yeah, we've heard of him. <laughs> his track record is spotty, to say the least. It, it's so bizarre. It's like... He has a beautiful mind, which I think is good. I was going to say, he won an Oscar. I didn't remember what he won the Oscar for. Okay. Right. Okay. But but then he has like Batman and Robin and a couple other turds out there. But when the Doctor Sleep book first came out, they wanted to make a movie of it right away. And he was picked to write it. And so uh, Flanagan, when he came in to direct it, he started brand new with a brand new script. I was listening to uh, the, the, I just started Dr. Sleep on Audible and in the Stephen King's introduction, he said his first book with Scribner, the publishing company was Bag of Bones, which we actually mentioned last time. Right. Of Gerald's name. Uh, and he was on a press junket for Bag of Bones. And he said that a fan said to him at like one of these press things was like, hey man, whatever happened to that kid from The Shining? And he said that that was one of those story. That was one of those things that every time he was on a long drive or every time he was just uh, going out and doing things and uh, his mind was allowed to like open up that like he would always think about, okay, what year is it right now? How old would Danny Torrance be? Where do I think he would be? And he said that that fan asking him that question was like the impetus for him to actually write this book, which oh, yeah. is pretty crazy but yeah. gives us hope as fans that like we can accidentally influence a writer yeah and of his caliber too it's him writing the shining as a i mean they say if you're an alcoholic like you're you know somewhere deep in there you're an alcoholic for life but it's whether you're a wet alcoholic or you're a dry alcoholic so it's him writing the shining as a functioning wet alcoholic versus years later writing dr sleep as a, as a dry alcoholic yeah mm -hmm. absolutely very good point yeah and, and Flanagan himself said that, uh, you know, The Shining was about addiction and that he wanted to carry that over into Dr. Sleep. And um, there certainly are 
addict characters in it. There's there's this cult, and it's interesting because during Thanksgiving uh, dinner, which I had, you know, just Thanksgiving was this week, I was talking about Doctor Sleep with one of my in-laws, right? And she said it's nothing like The Shining, and for me, I didn't think that was a bad thing. I actually think that what I like about this movie so much, it is so different from The Shining, and yet it references The Shining so much, and so the super intriguing thing to me was this cult which is like so scary in this book and uh it's kind of the, the main focus of the story the, the the true knot is basically this i mean how people have described them their initial impression of them are these soul vampires who they basically you know they they're like danny torrance they have this ability and they track people with this ability they legit have a tracker in their group, who it's his main purpose to do this, uh, Crow Daddy. And basically, this is how they not live forever, but this is how they maintain what could be centuries of life. You don't really know how old these people are. It could be 50 to 100 to hundreds of years old. Yeah. So, so they're the new introduction to like the story of The Shining, but they are kind of like, I'd say they're very reminiscent of other things that we've seen in Stephen King. There, there's certainly been psychic characters throughout many Stephen King books, and there certainly are like vampiric characters. And so they're kind of a combination of both. And the movie right away starts off with them. It doesn't start off with Danny Torrance. It doesn't start off in the Overlook Hotel. It starts off um, in uh, Florida, of all places, in 1980. And we meet Rose the Hat, who is played by Rebecca Ferguson, who I really think was robbed of an Academy Award nomination for this role. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And she's also not Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York. No, no, no. Yeah, we had to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. Some of our fact checkers. Yeah. So uh, Rebecca Ferguson of uh, Mission Impossible fame and upcoming Dune, she uh, is Rose the Hat. And I always fuck up her name, too. So it's Rose the Hat. She finds this little girl in the beginning of the movie, and um, she's just sitting by this lake. And the little girl comes over and sees her and, and she talks about how she's magical. The little girl's magical. And, and Rose the Hat says she's magical. And she's able to earn the little girl's trust by doing a little trick with her hat and some flowers. And then she, as this is happening, you see other members of the cult just inch their way forward. And it's really creepy as hell. And it's not a jump scare. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pure Flanagan because it's just, just silent imagery, right? And then they just yep. descend upon her. And that's the cold open for the movie, right? Cue the title. And yeah. so from yep. there, we do transition to a little bit of a uh, shining callback. And then, Chris, you want to tell us what happens next? Yes. So at that point, we have the title card. And then we the title card's fantastic, by the way. It patterns out into the, uh, the Overlook carpet, the famous Overlook uh, carpeting. And we see Danny riding around on his, on his big wheels. And uh, it's really, it's it's just, you know, you get those fan moments. It's fantastic. Even seeing it as many times as we've seen it by now, it's still, it's like, ah, we're back, you know? <laughs> and then he uh, rolls up to, you know, rolls slightly past room 237, takes a look at it, handle jiggles, door opens, and slow, like very slightly you see the room 237, the bathtub ghost, the old woman slowly uh very just slightly appear before we cut into uh also 1980 in florida not too long after 
what just happened at the Overlook. And I, one thing I want to say about that scene too, that I've, a lot of complaints, I actually went on a tear about this on, on Instagram uh, not too long ago. People, <laughs> a, a dumb complaint I see is that the room 237 ghost, the bathtub ghost, the old woman, that she only appears as an old woman in Dr. Sleep. And that doesn't make any sense. Because she only appears as a young woman to Jack Torrance to get him in the room, to get him in the bathroom. That ghost <laughs> is an old woman. So right. stop complaining about that and stop complaining about the blowjob bear, okay? Blowjob bear is not in the movie. No, it's, it's He had his time. Or she. She had her time. We don't know. Stop complaining about the blowjob bear. So anyway, we now go to 1980. Uh, Danny and Wendy are living in Florida. And, uh, and everybody, everybody just take a minute now. <laughs> Okay, so, we're 10 minutes in. We got the blowjob bear. Good job. Check. It's covered. <laughs> now, listen, so check out if you want to. If you're waiting for blowjob bear coverage, it's you've had it. It's there. So, so we give you, you something know, new here on the last, I guess. Yes. That's it. Only something new. So we go from the scene in the overlook to now. Danny is in his bedroom in their new home, which is now in Florida. Uh, this is, I guess you're supposed to gather it's a few months, maybe a few months to a year after what's happened at the Overlook and um, Danny's having visions. The, the, the ghosts of the Overlook are still with him. And from that point, we get our, our first uh, interaction with Alex Esso as Wendy Torrance, who is, first of all, the kid who plays Danny is terrific. He does, does a great job. But Alex Esso, I mean, she is on screen for seconds and just floors you. Like every minute more she's on screen just floors you with the, the, the essence of Wendy Torrance. And you feel that more because we then go into a scene uh, which is supposed to be the following day. Danny has interacted the night before with the bathtub ghost, the room 237 ghost. And the next day he's sitting on a bench by the water and he is visited now by Dick Halloran who in the Doctor Sleep novel is still alive, correct? Yeah. Dick Halloran, Dick Halloran does not die in the original Shining novel, but he dies in Kubrick's film. And when, when they had asked Flanagan, like, well, how, did you, well, how are you going to solve the Dick Halloran problem? He's like, Dick Halloran problem is easy. Even though he's dead, of course, Danny can still interact with him so right. it's even easier for me i can put dick halloran in whatever scene i want he can i can have him come to danny whenever and dick halloran basically tells danny like you know you walk in that hotel you're like a you're like a million watt light bulb and all these things are just drawn to you that's why they're going to follow you wherever you go the rest of your life and he basically teaches danny how to lock these ghosts up imprison these ghosts in their own cells, whatever they may be, a closet, a box, a suitcase, back at the Overlook. And you come to find out throughout the rest of the film, over the years, Danny is just locking up these ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? So we're already like less than 10 minutes into the movie, and yet we're getting into one of the most interesting aspects of the movie, which is that they didn't decide to go the digital copy of a person for these characters, these iconic characters. Jack Torrance is not a digital Jack Nicholson. We don't have, um, you know, Wendy as the original actress either, you know, and, and we don't have Danny as the original actor. So um, I think it was a very wise decision on Mike Flanagan's part. They, they did talk about in the making of it that they considered bringing Jack Nicholson back 
and like having a DH version of him because they thought the technology was at that point. But they said that like the, one of the very first scenes is Danny, like you just said, riding his tricycle throughout the overlook and they thought it would look digital and they didn't want it to be a video game, like look like a video game. Yeah. Yep. So with, with Jack Nicholson, uh, he had been approached to be in Ready Player One for that whole big shining sequence that they mm -hmm. had. And he, he was like yeah. real serious about being retired. So he didn't come back for that. So, yeah. and, and then one other real interesting thing I read too was that they were actually considering having either Christian Slater or Leonardo DiCaprio play Jack Nicholson's, uh, Jack Torrance. Yeah. You know? And uh, I, think I could see Christian Slater doing that. Oh. I can. I can. <laughs> Only a, a, a chapter into Dr. Sleep, the, the book, but it, it, the book makes it, both books make it very clear that Danny sees the old creepy woman. It describes her as being green with saggy breasts and purple skin hanging off her. It's like, there's nothing in the books about Danny meeting this beautiful woman. That That's Jack. Uh, also, I, I, I mean, you kind of touched on it also with Flanagan ada uh, adapting the book, but he's also adapting, uh, he's also trying to follow up a movie that is notoriously not the book. Yeah. So it's, it is this, like, it, it's got to be one of the hardest jobs ever done by a director because he's, he has a responsibility to an author as famous as Stephen King, who he has tremendous respect for. He's, he's already done Gerald's game. He also has to, for the fans of the movie, and Stephen King says it, it <laughs> he's hilarious. In the introduction for Dr. Sleep on Audible, he's like, there, you know, a lot of people love Stanley Kubrick's movie. I don't really get why. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but, but, he, you know, we all know. I mean, I did a video with uh, my 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 family, my wife and my daughter, uh, for this channel about the Shining novel, movie, miniseries. It that book, uh, that movie to people our age is seminal. It is one of those movies that terrified us as children, and it's one of those like first all time scariest films. Yeah. So to have to make a sequel to that movie but also adapt the book it's it's this it's such a challenge and you know he worked with stephen king you know like you know chris mentioned how howlerin of course in the in the movie he dies he he fights so hard to get back to the overlook to literally yeah. walk in and get an axe to the chest and die like instantly it's one of the all-time you know, as much as I love the movie, like, wow, they kind of wasted a, a lot of our time on that. <laughs> but the, the other major thing, and did either of you read the book of Dr. Sleep yet? No. no. So my, Athena, my wife, just finished it for the second time. I'm, I'm, I'm reading it now. I can't wait to get to the ending because I love the ending of the film. But the ending of the film can't possibly be the ending of the book because no. in the Shining novel... The overlook explodes. It, it goes up in flames because the boiler explodes, and that's it. Yeah. So you know, obviously Kubrick just had Jack freeze in the maze, and the overlook is still standing, which is why it's available for the novel, uh, for 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 this film. I still, I, I love, 
everything about this movie, but I, I, Flanagan had to do so much to appease so many people here that it's just, it's amazing that anyone likes this movie. When you think about like fandom in general, you know, I just mean like fans are so fickle yeah. with, um, you know, what, you know, like I need this to happen. And you're like, Chris and I have talked a lot about how a lot of the big complaint about this movie was, oh, there's too much fan service. And it's like, is, is there though? You know what I mean? But that exactly. You're making a sequel. It's like, (laughs) if the stuff from the first movie wasn't in this movie, then you would complain, well, you're not doing a good enough sequel to the first movie. So I I think that, you know, I I think a lot of the complaints, like the ones Chris mentioned and some of the other ones that we'll get to as we get deeper into the film are just, they're complaints for the sake of complaining. And if you really think about what he had to do, Flanagan, making a sequel to both an all-time beloved film, in parentheses, which was hated by the author, and make a sequel to that author's book, which is nothing like the original movie. Yeah, yeah. It is it is remarkable that he made a movie this good. Yeah. Hey, listen, hated by the author, The Shining tanked when it came out. Very yeah. much Dr. Sleep. In fact, one of the things Mike Flanagan had said in a podcast before is that about a week, maybe a few days to a week after Dr. Sleep came out, uh, King reached out to him and said, hey, listen, the Shining tanked when it came out. Shawshank, Redem- Shawshank Redemption tanked when it came out. I is the, now he's speaking about The Shining. He says, "I love this film. People will love this film, and time will be very kind to it." And you know what? It hasn't even been that long, and that's already proving to be true. Mm-hmm. People are finding Doctor Sleep more and more by the day, and for the most part, they're enjoying the hell out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I usually try not to be controversial on these shows. I usually try to be like middleman. But you know what? If if you have a complaint about this movie, then you're an asshole. Because this movie is fucking <laughs> this movie is so good. Okay, like I, I I compare like Parasite and this movie are my my two top movies of 2019. And mm-hmm. I was just watching this again today for this show, and it is just so fucking well done. It is so disturbing. It's so sad. It it everything the acting is phenomenal and just one of the small details that i just love and i i remembered it watching it today is that the way that it cuts from scene to scene is reminiscent of the original shining too they use that that dissolve effect which is so much in the original shining every criticism i've seen and i've read whether it's on social media or in a review about dr sleep has been some kind of irrational thing to like there's too much fan service. It's too much like The Shining. I'm like, it's a sequel to The Shining. <laughs> yeah. Or it's nothing happens for the first hour. Oh, by nothing you mean introducing characters and developing characters so that you care about them later? Yeah. Like, it, I, I guess you don't like that in films. Okay, no problem. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of 80-minute slashers from the 80s that are for you. And yeah. that's great. Yeah. And see, that's actually one thing I wanted to talk about too was the, the character development within that first hour. Because so much of this movie that stands out for me is the, the 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 horrific stuff and the supernatural stuff. 
And then watching it a second time, I was like, oh, this is really good. This is gold. I remember enjoying it the first time around too, but just like seeing Danny Torrance's life and, and what he's gone through as an alcoholic and just him meeting his friend when he moves to uh, New Hampshire, right? He goes to New Hampshire and he meets Billy Freeman, who is a recovered alcoholic. And Danny himself has become an alcoholic as well, just like his father. But in Danny's case, he's become an alcoholic to kind of drown out his shining ability. And, um, you know, we see, I, I forgot from the first time I watched it that like Ewan McGregor's at this low point, he's like overweight and he, you know, he's kind of schlubby and he gets into a bar fight right away in the beginning. And I forgot that he's like at this real low point when you first meet him and he like cleans up, you know, uh, you know, within the course of like a half hour or so. And uh, one of the first great scenes is he wakes up next to this woman that has this little infant and the woman is like, she's thrown up on her pillow because they had a crazy night the night before. And he goes to leave her. Dick Halloran is there. Yeah. He's like, oh, don't take the money doc or whatever he says exactly. And uh, you know, and McGregor just, he just leaves this woman. And we later find out that the woman and the baby died because you know, the woman died and then no one took care of the baby. Yeah. And he's just like plagued by this. And that stuff has nothing to do with the shining even though there's like ghosts and stuff it, it, but it's it's so interesting about his character and seeing how low he goes yeah just ha having read the shining you get so much more of jack before they go to colorado and jack's life dealing with the alcoholism and wendy dealing with jack's alcoholism and the, like one of the things in the book that is just completely absent in Kubrick's movie is Jack loved Danny and Danny loved Jack. And to a point where like Wendy talks about how jealous she is, I'm the sober parent and he so much likes his dad more than me. And th there's such a great relationship in the book between them and you really get the sense of that where Dan, like uh, Ewan McGregor playing Danny now as an adult, as this alcoholic who is falling into the, obviously the same vices that his father had. And, you know, it reminds me of the scene where he's, he gets his chip and he, he tells the little story about his father. Like that's, that's a rule. You know, if you want to call it fan service, that's like a, you're making a sequel to, the book, as much as you are the movie, that made it, for me anyway, especially now watching it this time after having read the book, that scene meant so much more to me. And it, it those scenes, and then like later on, he talks about how uh, he would recognize death with the flies. And then you see that woman in the hotel, he has the dream of her with the fly on her eyeball. Oh, God. It, it, like, you yeah. There's like just truly terrifying moments there yeah. uh, that that relate back to, you know, real world horror, you know, being an alcoholic, you know, falling into the same vices as your family and uh, feeling that you have nothing, you know, nothing in your life worth uh, <clears throat> living. It's great stuff. Very, very quickly, I want to touch on, I don't want to forget to talk about this because I feel like a lot of people forget to talk about these guys, but holy shit, the Newton brothers. Their score, those guys are musical chameleons. 
when it comes to Flanagan's films. Because it's by this point, Danny gets off the bus in New Hampshire, and you're just hearing you're just hearing echoes of the original score from The Shining, and it is ju- it's just as haunting. They really are super underrated. And the Newton brothers have a fantastic score running throughout this entire film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's so much of it that's so good. And I think the thing that I I love and I always keep going back to is this cult. But that scene that you mentioned, Danny, that scene, I I watched it again today and I was like, oh my God, this is so good. All all the lines of dialogue in, in Ewan McGregor's little monologue there. It's perfect. His delivery, what he says about his father. And it's so sad because he talks about how his father was trying to go to AA and he was trying to earn his chip and he never made it as far as he did, you know? And just that, that scene is so great. And it makes the original Shining movie even better and more tragic. And uh, it makes this movie better. And, yes. and so um, w- what's cool about the setup in this New Hampshire town is that he goes and he stay. you know, this guy, Billy Freeman sees you know, some potential in him and he has him stay in this house and he's staying in the attic. And the woman that is running the house, she said that there was a guy that stayed here before that was like a mathematician and he had a chalkboard on the wall. And the chalkboard is this great device in the first half of the movie where he's able to use it as a correspondence with this girl, Abra. Abra is uh, this little girl who has the shining um, and who has a very strong... uh, she has a very strong amount of shining like Danny did in the original uh, film and in the original book, uh, even more so probably. And we meet her when she's probably five or six at, and it's her birthday party and they have a magician there and she's like calling out the tricks and he does a trick with a spoon and she's like, I can do that. And he's like, okay, okay. Yeah, of course you can little girl. No problem. And then her parents go into the kitchen. Her mom is played by Jocelyn Donahue, House of the Devil, Love You Forever. Um, and she, the parents walk into the kitchen and there's just spoons hanging from the ceiling. And Abra turns around and goes, Abracadabra. And it's like, there's the, she makes the piano play while she's sleeping. The parents go downstairs, they see the piano playing. And it's the song that Abra was playing. And it's just a sense of how strong that she is. The parents know something is up, but they don't explore it too much. And then, of course, um, there's a scene where Danny is corresponding with her on the chalkboard. It starts with, like, hi, hey, there's the smiley face, which is, like, the symbol of the movie, pretty much. And then uh, Danny gets his eight-year chip. So we've now fast forwarded and now Abra's much older. She's uh, a, a teenager now, yeah, like I think. Like early teenager, like 13 or 14. Right. And she's, uh, this is where she, her powers have gotten so strong that she can sense what the true not, this cult that you're, you've talked about, she can sense what they're doing thousands of miles away. Yeah. And because they're in they're in New England. Uh, the true knot is somewhere out west. And like, I, I think past Iowa, past like Ohio, it's 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 well over a thousand miles away towards yeah. the West Coast. And she can feel them. And 
because she feels them. Her shining alerts Danny shining. Like they always had that little thing where they could hear each other a little bit, but then they really start to connect. Uh, and there's this great scene where finally she gets dropped off at school and she uses the shining to find Danny and she just cuts school, goes and meets him. And they have this really adorable scene on like a park bench where he even says to her, he's like, look, I can't really talk to you for that long because it looks weird for me to be talking to like a 13 year old girl on a park bench. So right. we can't do this in public. Right. Uh, but they, she actually starts referring to him as Uncle Dan. It, and it, it's, it's this wonderful relationship that, that builds throughout the rest of the uh, film. The, the, the hospice scenes uh, in this are so heavy, so heartfelt, especially the first one. You, know, you got the little nod uh, to 217, the original, which is the original 237 in Shining's novel, uh, in the King's Shining novel. Uh, but man, those hospice scenes, McGregor really shines leading up, even leading, leading up to what is my, we'll get to my favorite scene in this entire film. But he really, he has very quiet moments, but, uh, you know, pardon the pun, he shines a lot in this. Yeah. That's really crucial. It's, it's interesting because like, that's where the title of the movie and the book come from, right? Dr. Yeah. Sleep. And, um, you know, for the people that had criticisms, I could see people going to a movie theater and just being like, who cares about this? Let's just get to the cult, right? But the thing is, it's gold, right? Because essentially, uh, Danny goes and he works at this hospice center. And there's a cat that is there with him when he's there overnight as like a janitor. And the cat will go to the rooms of the patients that are going to pass real soon. And the cat will go into the room and he'll go on the bed and that's the sign that the patient is going to die. So the patients know about this and Danny goes in with the cat and he starts to have these conversations with the patients. And we see at least two uh, conversations with him and patients that are about to die. And the acting is just fantastic on both Uma McGregor's part and also on the uh, patient's part as well. And honestly, like the scenes themselves give me a sense of calm about death you know you know we, we've been talking about stephen king and, and and death and cancer and all the horrible ways that you can go in this world and i i do kind of worry about myself and the way i have i have a history of cancer in my family and these scenes give me a little bit of hope about passing on and it's just it's just what Ewan mcgregor says he doesn't know what's going to happen in the afterlife but he says to one of the patients i know that we don't end right yeah. And, and, and he knows that they don't end because he knows the ghosts from The Shining, right? And and so, um, you know, that- Talk about a contrast. Talk about a contrast between uh, this and, and we just covered Revival on this channel. Talk about a contrast where yeah. Stephen, Stephen King goes from, we, we live on, we stay, you know, everything is good. Don't worry about it. You know, you're going to see your wife. You're going to see you, it's wonder, you know, just go to sleep. Everything will be fine. And then like a year later, he's like, when you die, you become a slave to the ant things in the null. And that's it. <laughs> Say hi to mother for me. And it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. We don't, we don't die, Charlie. We go on. Oh yeah. What's that like? 
Ooh, <laughs> and just like closes his eyes, you know. Yeah. But I'm Pete, you're like, away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I found those scenes so touching, though, in the the hospice, or in the the home. Like every, I, I'm even like listening to you talk about them. I was almost tearing up. They just, it, it's yeah. such great character work, and it does lead you to the title. You know, the first patient he talks to calls him Doc, a reference, of course, to his nickname as a kid. Um, and, and, he, and he calls him Dr. Sleep. The, the scene that, you know, we were destined to talk about tonight, right? You know, we're talking uh, about this. We, we talked about Blowjob Bear. There's nothing that's just as infamous with the two Bs. Wait. Baseball boy. Three, three Bs. <laughs> baseball boy, right? Yeah. And so it, the first thing I just want, before we get to that scene, what's really funny, a real, like a, a, a Stephen King movie Easter egg, the girl that gets killed at the very beginning, Violet, by Rose the Hat and the True Knot, is the same girl that is eaten by Pennywise under the bleachers in It Chapter 2. Really? So she has a very hard... She, she, her acting career is basically being lured to her death and eaten by Stephen King villains. <laughs> no, isn't, isn't that little Nell from Hill House? Hill House. Yes, yeah, and she's um, also, the, she's also the, the girl under the bleachers in, in chapter yes. two. Get the hell yeah. out of really? that. Wow. Okay, so you know, so that's horrible in the beginning, but then what we're about to talk about now, we've referenced it on multiple episodes because it's just so upsetting. And it's funny because yeah. I'm watching this on my, my computer and my daughter comes by, you know, and it's right at that scene. She hasn't bothered me for the whole movie. And then she comes by and I'm like, go away. No, you can't see this. And we scarred for life. It's just like, so, okay. So, so, so basically. So that's what you're supposed to do with young children. Because with me, I'm like, oh, come here. Watch this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come here oh, and watch okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our households are a little different, but you know. Yeah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> But anyway, so the, so the infamous baseball boy scene goes like this. So the, the True Knot is looking for a new source for steam, and they're able to find this boy uh, who, you know, is on a baseball team, and, and they go to his game. He's number 19 for all you Stephen King fans. And but there's uh, a lot of those. We can talk about those later. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the guy that's that has the main... That's a great line in this, by the way, where he's like, number 19, you yeah. are good. I'm like, oh, you broke yeah and what, what what the hell is that guy's name to I, I wrote it down but it's like his robert, name robert longstreet he, the guy from haunting of hill house right right okay but he's in the movie because all the true not people have like little nicknames right and his name is yeah. just like fat chuck or something or like i i don't remember <laughs> it's like greasy, greasy bill that's greasy bill over there you know yeah. like no joke that's what his name is like his name is like that yeah yeah i think you're right yeah 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 so anyway so like fat chuck they, they pull up and it sucks because like his monologue in Hill House is so good, right? And he's uh, so lovable. Right. You feel so good for him. And then he's just this fucking monster in this movie. And, and they pull yeah. up and, and we didn't even talk about how Snakebite Andy has this ability to make people do what she says, right? So Snakebite Andy, this teenage girl who joins the True Knot in the beginning, she can basically tell people to do things and they will do it. So she says it to this boy, number 19, Bradley, uh, to get in the van. Because he's wise to them. He's not going to get in this van with these creeps. She, they, they get in the van. They drive to this deserted factory spot. 
And I already knew it was horrible to begin with when they're taking him out of the van and he's just struggling and screaming. And the, the way that he screams, like when he's in their arms struggling, that that was, I already knew this was going to be bad. And yeah. the way he was moving and grabbing and it. You know, Rose, Rose the Hat makes it clear that the steam is, is stronger and tastes better when the victim is scared and like, it, it, like the fear uh, and p- pain and fear make the steam better. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and again, this is a little kid. This isn't an adult. Yeah. Played by a, little, a little kid who famously in real life was like laughing during the scene while the <laughs> old were mortified. Like they were border, bordering on group therapy sessions. Like, is he so good? He's, Jacob Tremblay is so believable in this scene that yeah. in between things, he's laughing because he's having such, such a Another good Another phenomenal Life. child actor. They're like wiping tears away because he's so good. Wow. I didn't know that. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So he, you know, okay. So, so they, one other thing too, is that they show the knife that they're going to use on him. They don't show him going into his skin or anything like that, but they show what it looks like and it's curved and it's horrible. And it's just like what you said about Rose the Hat, where she's talking about how it's going to hurt. You know, she says something like, are you going to hurt me? And she says, yes, I am going to hurt you. And that scene, it, it's interesting. Cause like, when you only see a movie once and time passes by, you remember it. And it, it sometimes it's worse than what it actually is. And that scene is worse for me because they stab him and he's shouting and the steam is coming out of him. And I remember it just being so much worse and because it really traumatized me. And it, I just remember every time the steam came out, it was just like this almost like, like a gong or something, just like, and uh, they just, they slaughter this, this kid. And it doesn't cut away. It's not like they start and it goes away. It is an involved sequence. It's probably the most intense sequence in the entire film. And it, it doesn't just involve this circle. It also connects Ewan McGregor and Abra to, or Danny and Abra. Um, Abra's reaction as she's watching it only intensifies oh. it. it. It is so well done. But and that, it, that, that's when uh, the, the blackboard cracks. Cracks. And... The word and and when it cracks, uh, the word written on it when Danny wakes up and sees this giant crack in the blackboard is red rum, uh, which of course, you know, from The Shining, it's but, such fantastic editing, too. Like, it always it's very impactful that scene for me because, like, Abra screams, boom, explosion, he dumps out of bed, gets up, looks in that mirror, and it's right there, and it's with a very subtle score underneath it's very impactful yeah it, it's this thing where this boy is slaughtered there's no hope for him and you can't believe that you just watched this and then and it just gets have... worse Watch it just that? gets worse I mean, you get to the point like like you're like how does this get any worse oh they're basically thumping his body like a ketchup bottle <laughs> trying to get the rest out of... and you and you and you're just like Oh my God! Like it just, you know, and you know, you know what I, I have trouble. With? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like the first thing I could think of. Like, yeah. but, but I'm like, like you see this look on Rose's face where she looks up at Grandpa Flick, and for a second you don't like. Every time I watch it, I still don't know. I'm like, what is she feeling? Like she looks up at him. Like, did she just feel an? ounce of remorse for this 
necessity that they've had for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like she looks up, like she almost looks up at Grandpa Flick and sees his his beard get darker, and is is uh, her like conscience almost seems eased by like she's quickly reminded of like what the like you know this cost like what it means what it does for them to maintain their life to maintain maintain and keep alive their family it's yeah. a very it's a very interesting look in that moment yeah yeah and, and it's interesting too because like we said there's this connection between danny and abra in this moment and then she is connected too this is where she becomes aware of them as well and you see her looking around like wait what is that and it's, so it's this such an intense experience in that one moment and um, what I was saying before was that you feel horrible for this boy who's being squeezed like a ketchup bottle. Um, and then, <laughs> um, but then you feel fear for Abra and for Danny too. Cause you're like, oh shit, they're gonna come and slaughter them too. And it's like, they go and they communicate with each other on the board and you're like, oh my God, I hope they get together. You know, she, she writes baseball boy on the board. And so that's where we get our term that we've referenced before. Um, you know, I, I was talking about earlier, you know, like these irrational criticisms that drive me crazy. Somebody posted in like this horror Facebook group that I'm in was like started watching Dr. Sleep and got to the that scene that everybody talks about. And I had to turn the movie off. I don't understand how you make how you can do that scene where it's obvious that you're intending it to be entertaining. And I'm like. Dude, if you thought that scene was entertaining, that's on you. Yeah. You're the you're the messed up one. Yeah. Because yeah. and like I was really happy to see like everybody called that person out and was like, um, I, I don't think you got it. Yeah. How like I like my exact comment was like, I'm a father. That scene terrified me. Yeah. Yeah. And and exactly what you said, it made me want. It made me scared because I hadn't read the book at this point. I still haven't read the book. So I didn't know. Like, I'm like, are, is, are they going to do this to Abra? Or is Danny going to, you know, fight them? Is this, is this where this is leading? Like, uh, like, and I so wanted them, the true knot, to like get comeuppance. Fun, fun little Easter egg before we move on from this. The scene where Crow Daddy, am I saying Crow, Crow Daddy, yeah. right? Crow Daddy, yeah. yeah. Crow Daddy is scouting out Jacob Tremblay, number 19, baseball boy. There's a scene where they're panning through the, audi uh, the audience, people in the stands, and there's a guy saying, like, oh, that kid, that kid's a hell of a ball player. It's like he can read the pitcher's mind. That kid is the original Danny Torrance from The Shining. So next yeah, time you watch. Right? Look out for that guy saying he can read the pitcher's mind. That's the original Danny. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. So we spent a lot of time on that scene because it's so effective. Um, and, and, you know, I, I remember seeing it for the first time, my friend Jay, uh, and I turned to Jay and I was just like, that was fucking awful. And then there was another time where I turned to Jay and it was when Rose the Hat begins to actively seek out Abra, right? Now, I turned to Jay and I said, that's probably the most Stephen King thing I've ever seen. So, so the sequence I'm talking about here, this movie has a couple of these sequences and they're all very well done. But the one in particular I'm talking about is when Rose the Hat like gets on her, she gets on top of her RV and she starts to meditate. And then you see uh, Rebecca Ferguson just floating through the air, 
over like a you know the city basically and to me that just felt like something i would just read right out of a stephen king book i was like wow that's yeah. like stephen king to a t right that's that flanagan channeling king right right and, and i love that sequence i always remember that sequence because she gets into abra's house and then that's really interesting what happens there but there's a sequence prior to that that i kind of forgot about where uh she's looking for abra no no she's actually not looking for abra she's oh, the shopping right oh yeah. it's, it's so there's there's two things that are fantastic in that scene where she senses her and then at one point uh she reaches back behind her own head and then her hand goes behind abra's head i i love that but then yeah. abra screams like don't touch me or get away from me and she screams and it makes rebecca ferguson fly backwards in the supermarket i love that i mean well, one yeah. of the things i love about abra is Stephen King, again, I mean, we're, this is a sequel to The Shining, so it goes without saying, but Stephen King's first book was Carrie. His second book was Salem's Lot, which has a pretty strong child lead character in it, Mark Petrie, um, and then The Shining. So very few people in the history of literature have written more powerful and strong children than Stephen King. And she, I just love her so much where she decides almost immediately um, after the baseball boy incident that she's going to use her power that she doesn't even really understand. And she's going to look, she's going to try to find the true knot. And she's going to kind of go after Rose the Hat on her own. You know, the, the middle of the movie is essentially the true knot hunting Abra down and, and Danny kind of helping out and then them trying to figure out how to expose the true knot, right? And um, it leads to a conflict where unfortunately Abra's father is killed. And then um, there is a shootout between members of the true knot and, and Billy and Danny. Okay, that, that scene was brought on by, you know, you were bringing up the uh, Rose the Hat, uh, like flying in her vision to Abra. And there's a great scene where Abra, um, Danny teaches Abra how to like set traps using the shining. And they set this trap for Rose the Hat where we get Mike Flanagan mangle hands. Oh yes, uh, yes, yes. And Rose the Hat gets her hand uh, caught in they they describe that like you can look inside somebody's mind and their mind is like a library and there's different files uh like uh in like a file cabinet with different cabinets and you could just look at every thought that somebody had every dream that they had and rose the hat tries to look into abra's but it was all a trap and she gets her hand stuck and it's it's not gerald's game but it's it's about like 0.4 gerald's game <laughs> Yeah. yeah. If, yeah. If, if if like complete hand mangling is like a full Gerald's game, this is about a point four point five uh, Gerald's game right. of hand mangling. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny that it's funny that you bring up Gerald's game because one thing, one point I wanted to make was in our in our Gerald's game discussion, we spoke about how the ending can be jarring for some people. The ending was was quite jarring for Pete, and there's a similar complaint. I've seen with this movie that again doesn't bother me 
but I 100% understand. I completely get it. Shootout. And that shootout in the woods. I can that see that, a, yeah. That is a scene that does not feel like it belongs in this movie. It just, it, it's a scene that needs to happen. Um, it's the most screen time that uh, Katie Parker and James Flanagan <laughs> get uh, in the true knot in this entire film. But again, it's a, it's the scene that needs to propel forward everything, you know, everything after it. But again, it's that scene where it's like I see that complaint about Gerald's game with the ending being jarring, and I see the same complaint, and I understand and I respect it. Yet it doesn't bother me uh, with Doctor Sleep. It's a very every time I watch it, I'm like, I, I get it, I get it. The scene is very, it's 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 very different. It's a different tone. It's a different vibe. It's just I understand the complaint. Yeah, that 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 that's a scene like the ending of Gerald's game, like you said. Like those are scenes where, when you complain about those scenes, I I get it. It it does, you know, like for the first ninety minutes of this movie, if I said to you, "Oh, wait till there, wait till the ninety minute mark," there's going to be an awesome wood shootout. You'd be like, "Wait, what? <laughs> what? There's people, there's people invading other people's minds using The Shining." And and then there's a, a shootout in the woods. Yeah, it but like you said, everything that happens after that scene is is driven because of that. You know, uh that's the scene where Crow Daddy is like the one member, the only two members of the true knot that are not in that scene are Crow Daddy and Rose the Hat. Uh Crow Daddy uh is able to basically kidnap Abra because Abra was like, again, setting a trap for the true, for the true knot. Uh, and it, it propels the, the final, you know, scene of, of Danny going to save Abra and then the showdown with Rose the Hat uh, at the Overlook. And that all comes from that scene. Could they have done something else? Probably. But again, like, if I was going to say, is, is there a five-minute sequence in the three-hour movie that I don't love unconditionally? It's that five minutes. Yeah. But but it doesn't, it's not like, I'm not going to stand there and be like, well, well, now the movie's ruined. <laughs> As the guy who was the one that kind of complained about Hill House, the ending of Hill House to you guys, and I complained about the end of Gerald's game, I actually don't have that big of a problem with that particular scene. Because um, for me, I haven't read as many Stephen King books as you or your wife, but from watching many Stephen King movies, there always seems to be sort of like the underlings of the supernatural entity. And I understand everyone in the True Knot is supernatural to an extent, right? But like Rose the Hat is clearly like the alpha leader, the most powerful one. And, and these people are her underlings. And usually in the Stephen King story, like I'm thinking of like the outsider or even like it, there's a sequence where the underling goes in and does like a normal thing where they try to stab a person or shoot a person and they usually kill someone or hurt someone, but then they themselves are taken out. So it felt just like many other Stephen King stories that I've Yeah, but it gets it's 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 interesting though, and you make a you make a a, a great point in terms of defending it, a, a, an excellent point. But it's the whole like, you know, you see this group of people and the whole movie, they're just like <sighs> You know, and then all of a sudden they're like, <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's very, like, all of a sudden, it's almost like, uh, like James Coburn and Payback. It's like, oh no, in, in uh, Maverick, it's like, everybody's got a goddamn gun. Like, all of a sudden, everyone's got a gun. They're just like, <laughs> just like, 
what the fuck is going like you know for a second it's 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 definitely jarring but you yeah, sit yeah. there and you, you analyze and you're like wait wait why does this need to happen okay now it makes sense. right you know? there's also yeah like there's the the i'm sorry there's like that the i think the aspect that is the most jarring is the gunfight aspect of it like you almost expect because it's a stephen king story and because these are supernatural beings that they're just gonna like meet each other in the woods and be like yeah and like <laughs> and like we're gonna behavior it yeah yeah exactly yeah. and like and yeah like i remember the first time i saw it and i'm like oh they all they're all packing like, I did not expect that. Yeah. Like you, when you meet Snakebite Andy in the movie theater, you don't think about her an hour and a half later, like pulling a Glock out, and like, it's just yeah, yeah. It, it's very strange. Gotta get that Jacob Tremblay out of there. All right, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, I was waiting for like ten minutes to do that. So, yeah. uh, so that's. <laughs> That seems to set up the, 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 the conclusion, which you've said, Danny, is different from the book's conclusion. And well, it has to be because yeah, because there is no more overlook. <laughs> and, and, and it's amazing because like the end is like the the entire shining like shoved into I don't know, 20 minutes or not it's, even. I I've seen I, I the ending is one of my all I, I I just fucking love the ending so much. I, I from the minute and it it's almost like i know it's the most cliche thing in the world to say but there is a single moment in this movie where everybody knows okay now it's the shining right and it's the car driving yeah. on them with the yeah. music echoing the opening shot of the shining with the same score mm. and from that moment on it is just as perfect an ending to a movie as I could imagine. Like I, it's so good. I can't wait to finish the book because now I'm like, now I'm going to be disappointed in the ending of the book because it's <laughs> just yeah. by default. But yeah, yeah. That, beautiful, beautiful night drive up there with this, this you know, well, funny, very quick, funny story. I'm, I was in Glacier National Park in Montana a couple of years ago and we're driving in. Uh, there's only like two ways to get in. We were driving in from a different entrance the next day and we're, I'm, we're driving in. And I'm like, this looks familiar. And everyone in the car is like, what the hell are you talking about? You've never been here before. I'm like, I know. I'm just saying it looks, it looks familiar. I, I don't know why. So later on, we're in the RV. We're back at the RV that night. And my girlfriend's brother pulls up the opening to The Shining. He says, is this why it looks familiar? I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I saw, like, a, like an island with, like, six trees on it. I'm like, that looks so familiar. To oh, because I've watched The Shining a hundred times. <laughs> and I've seen that opening shot a hundred times. And I was literally on that road mm -hmm. driving into National Park. That is so you know, cool. so, like, being off to sleep after the fact, I'm just like, I was, I was on that road. I was on that road. Stranger <laughs> next to me. Oh, shut the fuck up, dude. I'm watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> at least he wasn't. At least he wasn't really enjoying the death scene of uh, Baseball Boy. Like, yeah, stab yes, yeah, her again. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a deep cut. We're going back to our first episode there. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um. So so uh, the, so the shining itself. It, it's kind of incredible. The hotel. The overlook. Because there's the idea that Danny's presence 
is bringing it back to life. And I love that. You know, he's just going through the rooms and the lights are turning on. And I have to wake it up. It's uh Yeah, yeah. I get I got goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's very I was very scared, honestly, because I, I've never seen The Shining in the theater before. I, I didn't know what to expect. And uh, I knew that we were going to see some fam uh, familiar faces. Uh, I, I was kind of shocked to see that Jack Florence showed up. And so what, what do you guys think of uh, our boy Henry Thomas's portrayal of Jack Florence? Very, very quickly, I'll say this, and I don't mind, it, I don't mind admitting this. The first time I ever saw Dr. Sleep, I had no idea it was him. Yeah, me neither. Did not have a clue it was him. My girlfriend told me when we got out. I'm like, I don't know who they got to play Jack. I'm like, you know, he didn't look just like him, but it was it was damn close. She's like, it's Harry Thomas. I'm like, what are you what are you saying to me right now? She's like, it was Harry Thomas. Are you kidding? I'm like, oh my god. And then now I was worried seeing it again that I wasn't going to be able to unsee it, and that's a testament to his performance in this. I did not have that problem. He, yeah. played, he plays it so subtly, and I notice this more and more when I watch it. He's doing Jack as Lloyd the bartender. Right. And he's basically, he basically honed in on the Jack Nicholson-isms and said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this down to the lowest possible level. And he's like, He's got these, these starts off with these slight Jack Nicholson cadences. And then as the scene goes on, it gets a little more heated and he brings it up a little bit, but never too much, never enough where it's an imitation. It's, it's so impressive. Again, we, we, we've spoken very highly of Henry Thomas throughout this. It's so impressive. And by this point, I'm also not ashamed to say the Danny Lloyd, the bartender scene versus the Jack Lloyd the bartender scene in the original Shining, they, they rival each other. I think they're, I, there's so much of the Shining ingrained in me, but being that I've seen Dr. Sleep five or six times at this point, they, I find them equally, I'm not ready to say one is better than the other, but I am willing to say that the Gold Room bar scene in this is just as good in a, in a very different way. As the as the bar scene in, in Kubrick's Shining, and you know we've talked about how dialogue is so important in a movie, and how uh, you know some people, you know, dialogue heavy sequences could bore them, uh, or you know they just want there to be plot progression and uh, set pieces, and the the scene at the bar. At that time in the movie, which is like over two hours into this film now, uh, it could feel like a slowdown because it's like, oh my God, we got the shining music. We're on the road to the Overlook. He's walking in. He's waking it up. Like we're going to have this big confrontation with Rose the Hat. And then he sits down at the bar <laughs> and, he has, and he has this long you know, several minute long conversation with Henry Thomas as his father, as Lloyd, the bartender. And I could see where that scene might jar some people as just like a slowdown of the action. But 
the dialogue is so important to who Danny is as a character. You know, it's it it brings back, you know, it, everything from how not just the the novel ended, but how the movie ended, uh, his relationship with his father, his own personal addictions, his own personal demons. He that's where we get the story about how he sees the flies and he, he talks about yeah. his mother's death and how he and how he couldn't look at his mother anymore yeah, because so great. he was covered in flies. And that's it's like this heartbreaking scene. Like it, it again, like you know, it's it's that line between is this fan service or is this a sequel to both a film that people love and a novel that people love. And this is what those characters deserve. It's closure for Danny, you know. Yeah. And 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 the whole movie is about getting him to that moment almost. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's like, yeah, why it's so like Danny, what you were saying about people not like when you're going, when you want to get something out of this because you're a huge fan of The Shining, The Shining doesn't have the emotion that this film has. Kubrick's Shining does not have that emotion. No. So that is like, that may not be what certain people want. But those scenes where he's like, she was your wife. Don't you want to know? What happened to her? Don't you know? It's that emotion, and it's that you know. I've loved hearing what people in the industry have thought of this film. And and King Stephen King has famously said said to Mike Flanagan, "You have made me love. You've made me enjoy Kubrick Shining more because of what you yeah. did here." Wow. And Flanagan's like, "That's the that's the highest compliment I could ever be paid." I've heard directors. Uh, guys, you know, guys like Scott Derrickson on the King cast say like, you know, I'm, I'm so thrilled with the choices that Mike made with this film, you know, going back to the Overlook, reshooting some of these scenes, but giving it a different tone, making it his own, introducing more emotion to this unnecessary emotion that doesn't ruin Kubrick Shining, but actually enhances it. Wow. Yeah. I, I can't talk smack about the original Shining movie because it's probably in my top five scariest yeah. movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's probably in my top 10 horror films of all time. But having Absolutely. read the book and then having rewatched the movie after reading the book, it's not close to the book. And the number one reason why is there is no emotion there. Jack Nicholson is a completely disconnected psychopath the minute you see him on screen. <laughs> like Charlotte, who is 10 years old almost, basically, like the minute you see Jack in the car at the beginning of the movie, where he's like, we're going to the Overlook. Yeah. She's like, oh my God, he already looks like this. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. That you hear that one? <clears throat> he learned on the television. You yeah. know, I was like, he, yeah, yeah. He doesn't even blink when they tell him about what Grady did to his family. Yeah, he's like, he's like, huh? It's like, what, what, what? You know, like, yeah, he's, he's. You're right. He's, he's, he's cracked from the word go. Which is, which was the biggest complaint that fans of the book had. It's obviously the, one of the major complaints that King had. The, the King hated the casting to begin with, because I look, we all love Nicholson, and he's made that role iconic, but it that he was not the right choice for the 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 books jack torrance and yeah. 
you don't get any emotion between this family. And you get so much of it here. Those, those early scenes in the movie between um, Alex Esso playing Wendy and young Danny um, and how like trying to move on after the effect, uh, the events of the first film. And, and then these scenes later on with Henry Thomas as Jack, they're the scenes that were missing from that first film that like we as the fans of it kind of deserved and Flanagan gave us. And then again, it brings the closure for Danny that he needs as a character. Like, like the, the end of this movie is completely a redemption arc for him. Yes. Based on where this movie started with him. Right. Like, you know. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I, I didn't know where it was gonna end. I, I did kind of think that he was going to die. And um, the way that he dies is so heroic, right? Because essentially he faces down Rose the Hat, he faces down the ghosts of the Overlook, and um, you know he gets possessed by the ghosts of the Overlook, right? And he goes ahead and does what, I know you said this, that Jack Torrance does in the original book, which is that he makes the boiler explode in the, the hotel, destroying the hotel. Yeah, in the, in the book, he, he's so obsessed with killing, going, like doing the, the hotel's bidding that he forgets to dump the boiler and then he runs down and he, the book doesn't make him heroic. The miniseries does. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I, I remember the yeah, but too. Yeah, the, the, in the book, he runs down to dump the boiler at the last possible second in hopes of saving the hotel. Oh. Uh, and and he doesn't make it in time. And uh, Halloran, uh, Wendy, and Danny just manage to get out of the hotel before it goes up in flames and burns down. But I just, yeah, I I love. And again, that scene at the end where he he overcomes the ghosts and he he sits in front of the boiler as the flames are coming all around him, and and his mother is there. It's just it like oh, and and then. It's just, it's perfect. It's its total redemption for a character. And it and for the people who thought that first hour was boring or too slow, it's, that's the payoff. Like, that's what you, that's what you sat there for. Like, to get, like, you had to break this character down to his, to the bottom of the barrel to where he's stealing money from a, a drug addict mother who has food stamps in her wallet. He's stealing the cash he he's responsible in part for that baby's death because he just left and and to go from that to now he's you know saving like he's he's fought off the ghosts that have basically ruined his entire life and yeah. you know he's destroying this building that like haunted him it's it's perfect it really is like it's cheesy to say but it's kind of perfect i mean we kind of just glossed over the confrontation with Rose the Hat in the Overlook, which is yeah. fascinating. And one of the things, like she stabs Danny with the axe uh, in the femoral artery. So he's bleeding out. He's going to die regardless. And she's digging her thumb into the wound because uh, she wants to get like the fear and the pain to get his uh, uh, shine. Uh, steam yeah. yeah and i love 
the way she's uh, antagonizing him and like, oh, it tastes like whiskey. Like, oh, it's yeah. so, she's such a good, every time, there's so many parts of this movie where maybe it's just Rebecca Ferguson where I'm like, I kind of, you know, she's not the worst. Cow- oh, oh, baseball boy. Yes, she is. Okay. And then like a little bit later on, you're like, oh, she's not really, I mean, all, and, oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really that bad. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you know, but, and when he, when she's basically killing him and sucking out his steam and she's like, ooh, what do you have hidden away up there? And he's like, you want to see what I have hidden away up here? And he opens all those boxes and then you just flash back to Rose. And instead of Rose, it's Rose surrounded by all the ghosts of the Overlook. That was one of those moments for me in the movie theater where I like lost it. It was just like, oh my one God. Of, one of them is, uh, hey, listen, if we had to remove Blowjob Bear in order to get Mrs. Grady, because that's who that ghost is. It's Mrs. Like, she's right in the front, who yeah. oddly enough was the daughter on, on the Nathan Fillion show, Castle, um, when you look it up on IMDb. Yeah, so I remember looking it up on IMDb, and I'm like, oh, my God, Mrs. Grady. You don't, you don't see Mrs. Grady in The Shining. You know what happened to her. All you see is Mr. Grady and the twins. Um, you know, it sounds like, you know, we've kind of talked about this movie, and, and you know, we've we hit upon what always sticks with us and what we love about it so much. Um, it's kind of funny because I feel like we've kind of covered Flanagan for the most part. I know he has other movies, right? But, you know, I feel like this is like the zenith. I feel like this is kind of like his best so far, right? I, yeah. I think that tops it. So I, I just want to see what he does with Revival and, you know, what that will be like. Because it, this has some uh, big shoes. Revival has some big shoes to fill in. That's for yeah. sure. I. I, I, I've gone on record. I said this in our, my, when I did the, the Shining video, I, I love this movie and The Shining to me is again, top five scariest movies I've ever seen. Probably top 10 all time horror films for me. But I, I think Dr. Sleep is a better film from a filmmaking standpoint. Yeah. Um, I, I think The Shining is the scarier movie. And I will, I mean, I rewatched it less than a month ago. I still got goosebumps in the same scenes I always got goosebumps in. Um, no. But especially having read The Shining novel, it, this movie takes, it, it just holds such a special place for me. It, it's a three hour movie that never bores me. I think the dialogue is great. Uh, I think the character development is is pitch perfect. All the little touches, you know, uh, you know, Chris mentioned the Newton brothers, who are, you know, we always talk about the Flanna family and the Flanna fam. Well, Flanagan uses the same people behind the scenes. The Newton brothers do all of his scores. Uh, the director of photography is uh, Mike Fimagnari, uh, who he's worked with on almost every film. He has like two. He has like two DPs that he uses. It's either James Neist or this guy, Mike Fimaganari. And his movies look gorgeous. They're, they're, you know, he does all the editing for them all the time. 
it's just they're they're so good like there there's easter eggs we didn't even talk about like the whole flanagan family is in this movie in like yeah. small parts it, the, uh, just, the, 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 the laser the laser glass is right outside the gold room yeah holy shit you know this is probably a good note for us to end our stephen king month on uh, I think we still have a few goodies. It's, you know, as of recording this, it's 1127, but uh, this is our last one as the three of us all together. Um, but I just got to say to you guys, like, thank you so much. Danny, thank you for coming up with the idea of doing a Stephen King month. Because I've, I've read more Stephen King in the, this month than I ever have in my life, you know? Yeah. And uh, we could plug on, on your channel, the Anchor Pete channel. We're going to get together and talk about needful things uh pretty soon yeah hell yeah so, so that'll be on the anchor nice. channel we're going to be reviewing needful things <laughs> well well thank you so much guys and uh you know what why don't you guys stick around for this channel because we have a little bit more stephen king for the rest of november we'll see y'all right. real soon <laughs>